listening to Ping, a new podcast by APNIC discussing all things related to measuring the internet. I'm your host, Robbie Mitchell. If you're new to our show and are wondering what this podcast is all about, each fortnight we chat with internet researchers and operators from around the world about the research they are doing and insights they've gained into the well-being of the internet. For those who have been listening, welcome back and thanks for the shares, feedback and reviews. And if you've subscribed, thanks for that too. Today, APNIC's Chief Scientist Jeff Houston will join me as we interview Mr Nagaraj, who oversees the design, architecture and engineering of Reliance Geo's IP network, as well as its operational support. With more than 420 million mobile users, yes, that's almost half a billion, and 260 million cable users, Reliance Geo has grown to become one of the largest telcos in the world in less than a decade. Mr. Nagaraj credits this unheard of feat to Reliance Geo's bold strategy to target and dominate the mass market in India by offering a cheaper, more modern service than their rivals, as well as trusting his 43 years of experience in the telecommunication industry in rolling out IPv6 across its network, which has catapulted both India's and the world's IPv6 capabilities in the last five years. You can find more about this on the APNIC blog, including a transcript of this episode. Jeff has been charting this growth over on APNIC Labs, and he was keen to understand how Mr. Nagaraj was able to convince Reliance Geo to adopt IPv6 at a time when it was not fully supported. So this is an amazing achievement, and certainly India today is the largest national pool of V6 users on the planet. This is the core of the V6 network, oddly enough. And that's an amazing achievement. And Geo was there from the start. So let's talk about that start. So it's, it's now 2014 and you're getting your plans ready because from my data, what I see is some experiments in 2014, initial deployment in 2015, and then you really turned it on in early 2016. Now, that's some time ago. And at the time, there wasn't much V6 about. Most of the large corporate services, Google's, the Microsoft's, and so on in this world, were V4 only, and were just toying around with V6. The handset manufacturers, be it Apple with their iPhone and, and the Android uh, systems, were basically concentrating in the V4 market because that's where the money was. And so there wasn't a lot of attention on V6. So this decision by Geo seems very brave. How did you sell it to your management, given that most of these companies are very conservative? When I worked for one, even getting them to get rid of their SDH and go to an all-switch all network, I was completely unsuccessful. So how did you succeed in convincing them that the time was right to make your core V6 and treat V4 as the overlay back then? So the, one of the good things which has happened to me was the management was already knowing my capabilities. In 2000, when I had just joined Reliance Industries, my challenge was to tell them how IP network was important and how IP V6 is important, how IP MPLS is important. There were two to three years it took for me to convince them that this is the approach one has to take. And proving successfully in the CDMA launch and the CDMA data connectivities at that time, it was actually quite minuscule, but still it created certain havoc, certain disruptions in the industry at that time. 
So that, that particular confidence was already built up by 2010. So I was involved in the technology selection from 2010 to 2012 or 13. I was there and since the confidence was there, I got quite a good support from my management. That's one thing. Second, you know, we actually took up from devices, from the SIM manufacturers, from the equipment manufacturers, as well as the application people. For all them, actually, we made uh, our purchase criteria as an IPv6 support as the fundamental thing. And wherever the people actually had this one, we actually gave them a timeline. We went with the dual stack for those things. And we supported them uh, for the transition period of six months to one year. And we, then we actually concentrated upon the, the network rollout completely on IPv6. So we actually first actually did with IPv4 as partial this one. And then I actually worked with all the management uh, plane I converted into IPv6. That was the first achievement I did. Then we actually took the control plane, uh, wherever it is possible, we made it on IPv6. Then we had the entire user plane from day one, we made it on IPv6. Since the user plane actually was completely on IPv6, we could achieve almost about 80% uh, deployment on day one with IPv6. So you didn't go dual stack in your radio network from the start? You went V6 only? Yes, complete our radio network and entire our LTE ecosystem interconnections, they happened on IPv6. And say certain applications within the zone, for example, it could be PCRF, it could be DRA, some of the elements which actually could not support this one here, actually we hit them behind an IPv6. This one. That means actually some core element that will be an IPv4, they'll be talking with IPv4, but for the user plane, they will be always talking with IPv6. So with the help of which we contained IPv4 into a small capsule and we made a broad cloud, bigger cloud with IPv6. And then when the people realized that what is the IPv6 which is able to bring, even the small bubbles of IPv4 start getting dissolved and actually merge itself into an IPv6. So again, I'll go back to that time. There weren't a lot of big rollouts that had V6. And that meant that the vendors weren't that interested in fixing bugs in their code. It was just kind of, no one's complaining, you're very special. Uh, why should we fix this problem? And we had discussions at the time with all kinds of vendors about, why don't you improve your V6 implementation? You seem to have some problems. What was your experience with your vendors who were supplying V6 equipment at that time? Were they up to scratch or did they need a certain amount of encouragement to improve their code? You are very right. The vendors were actually not ready to do it. But then actually when we had made us a commercial binding on them, it actually started once again in small ways here and there. And then we actually continuously worked with them. For example, the Samsung was one of the vendors. Ulti was a new technology. IMS was a new technology. Rolling out the entire thing on IPMPLS on Ethernet was a new technology. Everything was new technology. And uh, uh, I'll actually quote some of the things actually which uh, the applications, uh, uh, people, and actually the OSS and PSS stack, and uh, a video uh, servers and video distribution, they all happen to be on IPv4. They're comfortable with IPv4. Why actually even the new technologies like cloud, they would like to do only on IPv4. The many of the vendors actually whom which we are doing trying to interwork on and the 5G, they are all their core elements are only on uh, IPv4. Because when they try to take a new technology, they try to go with whatever actually is already working, which is already proven, where the challenges are less. 
with ipv6 there like more challenges like this one they don't want to open up those things so they would like to attack the new technologies with a much proven ipv4 and only when actually that those things are working those problems are resolved they will actually go for ipv6 we said okay fine if actually if you have to do it i'll actually give you only certain ipv4 because ipv4 allotment is also in my group the entire allocation of ip addresses happens from my group so we are very stringent very strict on those things so we actually allocate if there is a really requirement of the network business uh, to actually support the ipv4 we can support it but we give them a time frame in this particular time frame okay you resolve all your issues and actually do it user play the correct only on ipv6 and directly will actually insist and that there will be devices actually to support this one but within your elements a small elements and all you can, i will allow you a dual stack not only ipv4 but you develop this things and by the testing time period is over proof of concept is over production i will not allow you on only ipv4 initially it was difficult but then when we proved that jio is trying to reach the mass market and our number actually is quite huge our ibos is quite huge the vendors realize that if there is a game setup changing happening in jio they would like to participate actually we started getting vendor support one by one into this and when some of the vendors actually started like doing for example very interestingly I, i could get much support from samsung who actually did entire their, their radio as well as the core network interconnectivity on completely on the ipv6 then we got support from our ims stack and uh, that actually made it completely ipv6 then video also actually what i did i actually made for example whatever video elements which actually happens inside that i allowed ip before but the, the users who actually interact and will actually have a the deep video distribution which actually happening that we made ipv6 so that the users actually are all always making ipv6 for example dns when the users make a query they actually make a dns resolution first i will send only quad response first so that the user will get ipv6 as the first response if that particular website is not supporting ipv6 then only he'll use ipv4 so we actually encourage we made the network turn in such a way that the people will be forced to use ipv6 as the first choice and with the help of this thing we could actually continuously churn and make these things as much ipv6 as possible to tell you frankly it's not been an easy journey the journey is not ended we are somewhere but i think we made we show to the world that this is actually much possible You talked about V6 in the DNS, and in late 2018, early 2019, Reliance Geo turned on DNSSEC validation in its DNS resolvers. I can see that. Again, this is unusual in, in today's production networks. DNSSEC is not widely implemented outside of Google's own service, and it's actually quite unusual for an ISP-based resolver to turn on DNSSEC. I think yourselves and Comcast in the US and very few others have done this. Personally, I think it's a great thing. Understanding truth in the DNS is really important, but what was behind your motivation to turn this on? Why did you do this? I feel that actually we should actually protect our DNS uh, as much as possible. Like I can confidently say that actually we have made our DNS as uh, robust, as secure, as scalable as it could be. And we have actually bifurcated this particular thing also for a separate DNS system for the internet, separate DNS system for my network elements, for the FTT here separate. So if anyone which actually causes disturbance will not cause disturbance in the other parts of the network. I'd like to return to your IPv6 efforts, uh, Mr. Nagaraj. 
The sheer size of Reliance Geo's user base has helped it to really push the need to support IBF6 amongst your vendors. But has it had any effect on content providers and more established enterprises who feel the need to still hold on to IPv4? I have got about nearly 500 million customer base, which actually may grow to about nearly 600 million in the next two, three years. I got only 4 million IPv4 addresses. 4 million, 4 all enterprises, all FTTH and all mobile customers we are actually able to manage. That actually I have been able to do it only because we have been to IPv6. We actually concentrate upon 20% of the websites plus the, the different uh, industries and started working to make it at least a dual stack. So we concentrate upon 20% of the top people who really accounts for about 80 to 85% of the internet. And those 20% we change, about 80% still remains on IPv4, let it remain. But they actually really correspond to about only 10 to 15% of my internet traffic. But then actually we work with the, even actually banking industries, the top uh, uh, the industry within the country. I'll tell you an example, a very prominent bank in India is Capital of India. We actually work with them and actually make them also asset to your stack. But as soon as actually, as I told you, you know, one, their IPv6 website will not be actually having all the facility of an IPv4 website. That's one problem. I'll get you customer complaint. Second, their, their IPv6 actually is such a exponential crash. Because when the number of hits actually are more, it'll crash. Then you work with those people, actually make them to a scale. It has not been an easy journey, but actually we actually try to make as much as possible those sites also to be converted to IPv6. It's a long journey, it continues. I don't know whether we'll actually get a 100% result for that, but at least okay, what we have seen is okay, about 90% of my traffic as long as the IPv6. These small bubbles, okay, we may have to live with it. There are some interesting issues around that. And one of them is the outage of Slack late last year. And the reason why ultimately Slack was offline for 24 hours was a complex DNS issue relating to DNSSEC and Route 53. But the, the basic cause, they were V4 only. And because users who are dual stack prefer to ask in V6 first, they were getting the wrong answer in V6 that was telling them there was no Slack, nothing. And so no one could reach Slack because they were V4 only. And while the original requests were for Quad A records, the V6 records, Slack just died for everybody. And so trying to convince these folk that V4 only is sometimes a liability if you haven't got everything in place working perfectly. And these days, no one does the job themselves or by themselves. We all rely on Route 53s of this world, the Akamai's, the Cloudflare's, and so on which means not only do you have to get your own job in order, but everyone else has to as well. And as you were saying with banks, I noticed in Australia, there is not one bank that operates its own infrastructure anymore for its retail banking. Every last one of the big banks is now on a cloud. And trying to persuade the cloud flow that dual stack is important, as you say, it's very difficult. None of the popular clouds, Amazon, Google, and to transaction Google is okay, but they're all still on IPv4. All the cloud applications still on IPv4. This is such an issue. I'm looking around at the region of India, and India is this island of concentrated V6. Bangladesh, not really. Uh, Nepal, no. Even little Bhutan, not really. But it's worked for India. And, and yet one would have thought that the technological landscape should be no different. Why do you think haven't your neighbouring countries, such as those three, actually done the jump themselves? 
what is the thing which has changed uh, the situation in India? It's because Jio has entered, and Jio this one was not a small segment to actually uh, do it. They took this entire thing as part of uh, the the mass market rollout. Even today, if you see a vegetable vendor who actually is selling uh, on the streets, they use mobility and they use in our IPv6. They actually do all the transaction uh, through the this one. Of course, uh, the COVID situation and uh, working from home has further actually helped uh, such a network did exist and uh, people are able to do all that business in a normal way because of the uh, infrastructure and communication being available. Having said that, you know, because such that we, uh, as a greenfield, we entered, we made it as completely an IP network. We did not allow any other legacy technology to come. And we actually embraced and we boldly pushed IPv6 and made it successful. Now I see the other operators also actually slightly trying to follow our footsteps. Virtually, the, 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 the 2G, 3G remained for a long time. The 4G to actually get adopted only when actually we made LTE as our choice. To tell you frankly, you know, in 2010, there were 45 to 50 deployments actually on a WiMAX, which was happening all over the world, only for broadband internet access. Uh, we had a choice. I even WiMAX chairman came and met us, and he said, actually, you please adopt WiMAX. The initial uh, spectrum, we said, no, we should actually think on a longer strategy, and that's why we chose LTE. We actually adopted the technology and we made it successful. And now today, if you actually see there's no 2G, 3G in India, all the other operators have been changing the spectrum also into 4G. That means like, there actually has to be one leader who is required, who takes it bulls by, by horns, and then push the things actually down the throat, and actually make it successfully implemented, and everybody actually will follow that particular thing. Today, other than some in Burma, there is no WiMAX story anywhere in the world today. Everybody actually changed about TLT. That's because uh, somehow it became a trend setter in that particular thing. Not only in the technology selection, but also on the IPv6. And that is a story actually I can say today, if, if India is actually leading with IPv6, I think we contribute to more than 80% of its uh, usage. There's one other thing that Geo did, which I'm curious about. Every country auctioned the radio spectrum. And by and large, in every sort of national economy, the price of spectrum was, was much the same. It's the same industry all over the world. They all bid at this much the same rates. Yet when I look at the price of mobile data, India is cheaper than anyone else, and it's fast. So here you are with a product that is outstanding for the customer. It's cheap and it's fast. In America, I pay 10 times as much per gigabyte than I would pay if I was a customer in India, 10 times. So here you are with the same kind of technology, blindingly fast service, but it's so cheap. Now, I'm actually interested into how this is achieved because when you ask your counterparts in other countries who go, well, we bid so much for the spectrum, there's a lot of costs involved, we can't make it any cheaper, yet you're saying by your very actions, it can be cheaper. What are the elements that actually give you a product at this phenomenally low cost point? How do you survive? One is such that I should like to thank the management for the uh, entire thing, the bold decision, because uh, they have got a vision, and their vision is not to keep a small segment, to actually go to the mass population. For example, if we are doing the fiber today, 
we'll actually try to touch more than the thousand towns and we'll actually go to every villages and give the connectivity. It's not a small vision that go for that. And when you go for the mass market, the prices that you actually, which you are doing, they will get evened out. And second is uh, compared to many other, this one I have seen, they want returns immediately. If I invest one rupee today, I want two rupees tomorrow. Otherwise, you don't want to invest. Here, our organization was not like that. So you invest like, is more like a, a infrastructure development, just like uh, you do the road and uh, you will not get tolls uh, this one on the day one. And in this case, that we got support from the government also. That, that I think there has been a, another supportive feature which has happened. And I would actually say that uh, the organization vision as well as the mass deployment strategy and when you do mass de deployment strategy, and keeping the prices low and actually then uh, recover it from the masses, not by straining them, but actually by, by they making profit out of that. With that actually we get certain revenues over here. That actually also process a challenge in network challenges. What we have achieved in five years is, is probably there is no history of this one. And uh, such a thing can be actually duplicated or such a thing. Our neighbors have not done this type of thing. Well, that's so evident that they've not done the price and they've not done the technology the same way. Absolutely not. Hats off to my management for that, that management vision. Starting from scratch, though, do you feel you had an advantage over all incumbents, given, as you said, you didn't have any legacy technologies to deal with? Uh, in the sense that actually we knew that as a green field, we had got a great advantage. Of course, there is a certain bold decisions were required, certain uh, uh, managemental support which was required. We knew that this is going to succeed only. And when the problems come to the network, we just actually do not take it as a system. We solve, resolve the problem. Not only temporarily to actually fix the issues, but permanently fix the issues. And then, then we move forward. And uh, we take more and more new challenges. Change is a thing which is inherently there. So accept the change and accept the challenge. And actually, my, my management always puts very stiffer and stiffer target. If you want to actually achieve 100%, they'll actually give you 300% as the target. And even if you achieve 150%, you're still ahead of the 100%. Yes, Robbie, legacy is a big issue. The old 3G networks, the vendors used to charge by the protocol by the minute. And so if you ran a dual stack network on 3G, you paid the vendor of the radio equipment twice as much as if you ran one protocol. And so everyone ran V4. Now, when they started to deploy 4G, they didn't deploy it as throw out 3G put in 4G. They did it as a rolling sort of upgrade in various parts of the network. And to support 3G, they had to keep V4 running internally as the only protocol. And then everyone was faced with running V6 as an overlay. And that's why you saw all of this mucking around with encapsulation technologies and so on, which tried to sort of push the two together in very uncomfortable ways. From my understanding here, this was a little bit more similar to Verizon's story. You enter the market late, you have no 3G legacy to actually accommodate, no mono protocol problem, and you can actually think about how do I want to do it, not how does history force me to do it? And you know, this seems part of the story of Geo here that I'm hearing. And maybe sometimes it's worth it to come into the market with a bold vision late, knowing what you want to do, then come in early and then try and figure out the problems on the fly. I agree with you. Let's talk a little bit about this is growth in volume, because this is the bit that interests me about your next engineering challenge. Obviously, if you're deploying 5G and, and obviously with the amount of content just constantly rising, 
what we're all finding is we're hitting some real issues about getting that much traffic from the data centers where the content data networks have their points of presence across to the end customer. And your internal engineering is now all about doing that last mile access flow. Now, it seems to me that the next conversation is about getting the content data networks to host their content inside your network and not just in the major population centers, but to do so in such a way that they're close to the points where there are customers to feed it so that the distance content travels even within your network is minimized. How's that conversation going? Are they enthusiastic or reticent about working inside your network with their content? So I'll share some other points, you know, that when I started my journey in Reliance Infocom in 2000, 95% of the data was going outside the country. So 95% was going outside the country, only 5% remained in the country. Today, we have got 93% of the content staying within the country. My international lines actually are only uh, 7%, which actually we are trying to reduce it to as we go along to 6% or 5%. But I, how we have achieved this? Today, we have got uh, 70 locations where our uh, data anchoring point is there from a mobility point is concerned. And I have got data anchoring point from my the wireline perspective to 800 points. So whenever actually I actually do a 200 gigabytes, I do, for example, I'll bring uh, the contents like Google's and uh, Facebook into that particular location. When I actually get to 500 gigabytes, I can bring Akamai's and Amazon's into that particular this one. And actually when wherever is one terabyte and actually more in that particular location, actually I actually bring in other peering uh, locations, other caching location into that. So now this actually what actually happens is that, that uh, if, uh, interconnection of the peering to the caching connection, they may actually use my network or outside the network. Choices left to the CDN players. The, the thing is if my own people will actually be within my network, they will access those contents as close to this as possible. And actually where I should actually put what is a completely dynamic situation, I keep actually changing based upon the network and customer growth and customer requirement. Interestingly, mobility is a larger number, but a smaller bandwidth. I mean, when I say 4G, this one and 5G may change, but if wireline will be a smaller customer base, actually they will be requiring higher data. So you've managed to do 95% of your, if you will, sold traffic is domestic. It came from somewhere within the country and, and is going to a, a customer in the country. What's your objective for in-network over the coming years? In other words, didn't even pull it from a peering point, didn't pull it from anyone else. I pulled it from caches inside my network and delivered it to my customer. What's your target for that? Uh, that's an interesting possibility. That's one of the exercises which we are doing. I actually expect in a 5G FQTH environment, actually let us talk about 2025. I expect it to be actually somewhere around 500,000. At least, if not, uh, because this is completely dictated by real network requirement, not just because of some location we do. If there are requirements like within the cities and outside the cities. Outside the cities, actually, to keep it this one, probably even when the uh, traffic is not that much high, still for a strategical location, we may have to put because the distance and other things are there. But within the metro, we actually go by the exact the traffic actually happening over there. And as I said, actually, I'll keep a threshold like a 200 gigabyte, 500 gigabyte, 1 terabyte, greater than four, 1 terabyte as the threshold. You know, when we actually start the entire network, people said one location is sufficient. 
you put your pc in one location in the country other actually can actually all would be ready or they can come and one became two two became five five became 17 17 became 43 43 became 70 so based upon the network growth you know initially you can actually have smaller location but when the traffic started increasing to handle the traffic to have the better resiliency you will start actually putting it to the edges so if i was a big streaming provider naming no names and I was looking at the market of your customers, then it seems to make sense to me to get very fast service without stressing the network. I'd want to have my content cached in 800 locations. 800. It can be definitely possible. Petabyte disk systems are neither big nor expensive, so I can afford it. Will you help me build that? I'm like, what's the relationship to expand those points of presence to such a level that they're actually part of your network as distinct from just me having lots of, of CDN points of presence, that this, this relationship is then different because where these caches and where these front ends go is actually part of the network's engineering, not part of the CDN in isolation. Is that the next few years of your life? You know, one of the success story of Reliance Geo is not just giving communication pipes. In 2010, when we actually entered, there was a stage whether content players actually dictated the market or service providers are just giving a dumb pipe. So today, if you see, the service providers have come to stay. Why? Because they actually is not one segment actually just there, like it is a ecosystem. Now actually we are actually partners of Google, partners of Microsoft, and uh, so we are as much part of a, a, a CDN strategy as part of the content strategy. We have got our own Geo CDN for our own video distribution. We are actually doing our own CDN also, and we are expanding our CDN also. So you have to be end to end. Having said that, you know they also have to start seeing the value. What is the value in the internet market? One is content, other is eyeball. So you have got eyeballs. The content providers actually do not have the eyeball. So who is bigger of the two, this way, who will eat the bigger of the pipe of the two? But ultimately, a survival, a common survival of both, which actually that market will actually dictate. Oh, we're all winning. I take it then that I'll get some help with my streaming network from Geo in terms of that placement, which seems to be a very productive way of doing things. So, yes, you, you are looking at a very busy few years coming up to do this, but it should be a lot of fun. I, I told you, you know, that every day, everything exists a challenge. So you have to actually stay ahead of the curve, stay ahead of the things, think of ahead of the things, so that you actually not get consumed by these things. Because, you know, we were greenfield about five years back. Today, we are not, no longer greenfield. We are, we are as brownfield as anybody else. Always you have to keep ahead of the curve as a predictive deployment. Otherwise, you will not be able to survive. Absolutely. I'm out of questions now, Robbie, and I think this has been a fascinating conversation. I'm, 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 I, I think you're in a very exciting trip there, and I, I envy you. I agree with you. I have one last question. Um, what has been the biggest challenge you've had thus far with your IPv6 strategy? You know, the, the biggest challenge I had in the entire this one was a private IPv4 space. What is the meaning of this one? So the, we have uh, the mobile devices. Actually, that uh, one of the things which happens is that there are a variety of mobile devices. I can actually dictate terms for my vendors and this and that. I cannot dictate terms for the mobile devices. And if the customer has to come to me, I'm actually, I have to accept everybody who comes there. So today, how many devices are there? India is an open market, not like uh, uh, US or this one, where actually that they will actually release the handset. And you have to take only those handsets which are given by the service provider. 
there's a you cannot just go and actually buy whatever you want but in india actually everybody can actually take any of the uh, mobile handset and they can use and i have to ensure that everything is getting connected i cannot say that uh, this is ipv4 is ipv6 and all so i started the dual stack and when i started like 50% of the devices fully were only ipv4 devices today we have four major sim vendors actually all of them are ipv6 we made them to actually support ipv6 stack over the year actually we converted whatever older sims were there from ipv4 to ipv6 and now as we are going along actually we went with xlat i have got at the maximum a 100.64 and a 10.16 uh, slash 8 so i have got maximum about 20 million ipv4 private address space i have to support about 400 million customers how do i do it with a dual stack mechanism because i have an mvp plus network i divide into zone further zones within the circles and actually i have, I have supported and then what we did was you know that okay, today i'm actually doing probably six months i'll completely do the network i'm actually using xlan and actually private ipv before space is actually within the customer's mobile handset only so the xlan will actually convert that one to ipv6 so in my network only ipv6 will flow this particular problem actually we only face in the entire world nobody else because they nobody had had this customer base and the growth actually complete in ip ipv network what i would like to say is you know that the, the, even though i want to do an ipv6 i had to actually battle the ipv4 and like came up with a strategy to overcome that an xlat which actually will like help me to go completely to the ipv6 in my network today uh, 99% of the devices support xlat it's not easy actually each one is a challenge by itself We'll leave it there. Thank you, Mr. Nagaraj, for giving us an amazing behind-the-scenes view of the thinking and strategy behind Reliance Geo's network and business. Uh, really, I enjoyed sharing some of the challenges. You know, that okay, every day uh, I don't get to actually share these experiences. Uh, guys, really enjoyed. Yeah, it was so much fun. So thank you very much. I really enjoyed talking with you. No, thank you. It's it's been so much fun. And thanks to everyone who's made it this far. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If so, please do subscribe, write a review, and tell your colleagues about it. And if you'd like a transcript of today's show, head over to the APNIC blog, where you can also find case studies of Reliance Geo's IPv6 journey, as well as other service providers' experiences with deploying v6. Check out the links in the show description. Finally, if you've got a story or research to share, get in contact via email, ping at apnic.net, or our APNIC social media channels. And be sure to check out the APNIC website for all your resource and community needs. Until next time.